five, four, three, two, one. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Here we go. It's game time. Welcome to Sports and More, where almost anything goes. Coming to you from the marsh just outside of Edmonton, Alberta, here's your host, Dean Millard. It's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Nice to be in orbit. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It all depends on uh, when you're listening to this, so I want to cover all my bases. But thank you very much for tuning in to Sports and More, the podcast, episode 19, where almost anything goes. Uh, For the most part, we stay away from politics and uh, pretty much always uh, stay away from religion. But we do not stay away from sports. And man, What a night. Uh, I am uh, recording this uh, in the evening on Tuesday after James, the real deal, Neil, the unbelievable deal, the can you believe this kind of deal, deal? Four goals for James Neil? Six goals on the season now. Uh, So far, good returns for the Edmonton Oilers on that trade. And uh, I've mentioned this before. James Neal scored 40 with the Penguins. 18 of them came on the power play. So the Oilers are 3-0 and after beating the Islanders tonight, and uh, that was uh, really, really impressive. Uh, I'm also watching the Tampa Bay Rays lead the Houston Astros 4-0 in the 8th. Justin Verlander got knocked around. Now he's pitching on three days rest for the first time in, I think, his career, and it did not pay off for the Astros. So it looks like the Astros are going to have to beat Garrett or uh, def- rely on Garrett Cole Uh, tomorrow night, or uh, maybe it actually won't be tomorrow night, Uh, but in Game 5, I can't believe this series looks like it's going to uh, five games. Charlie Morton pitched a gem, an absolute gem for the Tampa Bay Rays tonight. You know, getting to Verlander was important, obviously, because you need some offense, but not letting that uh, high-octane offense in Houston go to town. Nine strikeouts for the curveball master, Charlie Morton, in five innings. Just three hits, three hits rather, uh, and only an earned run. So good stuff tonight in uh, the sports world. Uh, Right now, Boston taking on Vegas uh, on the other TV here in the Marsh. Ryan Rashog is our guest today. I'm really excited about this conversation. I think you're going to really like it. Now, just to note, we did this, uh, we had this conversation this morning. Uh, so uh, it's not going to pertain uh, or contain any uh, James Neal four goal talk. But after the uh, Ryan Rashog interview, we will bring you the Acme Meat Market trivia question. You could win a gift card to Acme Meat Market uh, with the world class butcher Corey Myers uh, down there, uh, Corey the Butcher at Acme Meat Market. Uh, so we'll get into that, and uh, we're also going to bring you Cooking with Johnny LaRue today in our uh, John Candy character. Uh, but let's get on with the show right now, and then we'll get into the Ryan Rashog interview very shortly. Hmm, what's on my mind today? <laughs> I don't know. You want answers? I don't know what the hell he wants. Let's get into things. Let's get real. This is the Myron French question of the day. I read you loud and clear. 10 4. All right, the Myron French question of the day based on Myron French, uh, my high school law teacher, uh, taught a, uh, a law course and started every class with question of the day. And we would try to make that last as long as possible. <laughs> That was our scheme back in high school. So the question of the day to start off uh, Sports and More, the podcast, what has been the highlight of the NFL season through five weeks? What have you found as the biggest highlight in the NFL season so far this year for me? uh, But, well, it's a no-brainer for me. It's Christian McCaffrey. Uh, The guy is just crushing it 
when it comes to uh, rushing yards, leading the league in attempts, uh, yards, uh, tied for the league, league in touchdowns, has a receiving touchdown, um, just a total dominant uh, receiving and rushing running back. And he's also on my fantasy team. And he put up 49 fantasy points this past week. So he is uh, definitely uh, my MVP candidate. By the way, Robinson uh, Chirinos just did a solo shot for the Houston Astros as I'm listening to this. Makes no difference to you as the game will be well over by the time you're listening to this. But just wanted to point that out. Strohs are down 4-1 in the eighth. But Christian McCaffrey is the MVP right now. Uh, I know a lot of people will look at Patrick Mahomes, and it, I, I'm not going to argue against Mahomes being an MVP candidate, but uh, for me, Christian McCaffrey is the leading candidate. I put him ahead of Patrick Mahomes. It's just been amazing. Um, that might not happen, but we'll see. Uh, you can join the conversation if you would like to on Twitter, at Duck Millard. Uh, you can get us uh, also uh, on Instagram, Sports and More Podcast. On Facebook, Sports and More 35, and you can email us, sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. Mark Stone has just scored for the Vegas Golden Knights, former Brandon Weeking. As the Golden Knights lead the Boston Bruins 1-0. So that's how you can get in touch with us, and uh, you can text me at any time, um, and I'll uh, get to them uh, next week uh, on next week's episode. But if you want to send a text about anything, uh, the... Uh, Podcast Alley text number is 780-803-1555. That's uh, 780-803-1555. And you can get to me about to any of my shows uh, that I have going here on uh, Podcast Alley. So that's the Myron French question of the day. Um, let's dive into our top three. Three, two, one, and liftoff. Let's go. Time for your top three. Liftoff and the clock has started. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. Beautiful, beautiful. Today's top three is all thanks to Nick Bosa. If you watched Monday Night Football, you saw him sack Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield rather, then uh, wave a uh, invisible flag and plant it into the ground. That's because that's what Mayfield did. Uh, when he was in college with Oklahoma, and he planted the flag on the O of the Ohio State University field. And so Nick Bosa was sitting on this for two years. I, I, I commend his hold a grudge time. Like two years is pretty good. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, if you ask any of my friends, I'm pretty good at holding grudges. I hold them a lot. <laughs> and, uh, it's pretty, uh, it's, not, it's not that great of a personality trait to be able to hold grudges, actually. But Nick Bosa held this grudge for two years. So I'm asking you for your top three celebrations in the NFL all time. Uh, my honorable mention goes to uh, Doug Baldwin and the Seattle Seahawks uh, last year, uh, kind of at this time, baseball season. Um, they, they play pitcher, batter. Um, Baldwin gets uh, hit, beamed, and charges them out. That's pretty awesome. Uh, number three for me, though, is Joe Horn and the cell phone in the end zone. So creative. I love that it was planned. Um, you know, I love the Carolina Hurricanes in the NHL who have these pre-planned celebrations. And Jordan Martinuk was in Podcast Alley with me in the marsh here earlier in the summer in the offseason, and he told me there's a, there's a committee that goes into that. So I respect pre-planned celebrations. Uh, Joe Horn is number three for me. Uh, number two is uh, Zeke Elliott. Uh, when he dove into the Salvation Army bucket or bin or whatever it is and then came out after the uh, touchdown. Now, he got, I think he got fined, uh, but he raised, ended up raising a ton of money for the Salvation Army for that. So that had uh, twofold in it. And number one is the Icky Shuffle. The Icky Shuffle. Icky Woods in the 80s, Cincinnati Bengals running back uh, would get in and then revived it later. I think it was a Geico commercial or something like that. Uh, ended up in the Super Bowl as the uh, the Icky Shuffle. Unfortunately, I didn't get to do it enough in the Super Bowl against the 49ers um, as I was at that year a big Bengals fan because of the Icky Shuffle. So that's my top three. You can chime in on uh, your top three NFL celebrations of all time, at Duck Millard on Twitter. All right, uh, Ryan Rashog is our guest today. 
Let's find out a little bit more about the man they call Shogger. Time for the bio. Ryan Rashog was born in Edmonton, Alberta, but spent his early life in Prince George, BC. When he was 10 years old, his family moved back to Sherwood Park. In grade 10, his family packed up again and this time landed in Kamloops, BC, where he would continue his hockey career, making the Kamloops Blazers of the WHL as a walk-on 18-year-old. A back injury ended his hockey career and into broadcasting he went with his first job coming right back in Kamloops covering his former teammates. Stops in Sudbury and Saskatoon preceded him landing a job at CFRN in Edmonton before he joined TSN. Very excited to have uh, Ryan Rashog of TSN joining me here on uh, the Sports and More podcast. Uh, Shogger, it's great to have you aboard. Uh, I know you wanted to get on this podcast so you could respond to your colleague, Darren Drager, who was recently on this podcast. So I've eagerly been anticipating your response to, um, you know, what a, uh, I, I would say a serial practical joker Darren Drager had to say about you. Yeah, I mean, it, first of all, thanks for having me on. Not the only reason I wanted to do this. As soon as I heard you were doing a podcast, <laughs> I knew it was something that I would like to do. So this isn't just about any form of retribution for drag. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I listened to his segment, and it's just, it's funny, you know, for a guy who's supposed to make his living based on, you know, proper information and details, how fuzzy and sketchy the details seem to be in his memory about the way things actually go. So, I mean... You know, that prank I played with his wallet, as juvenile and ridiculous as he made it sound, uh, you know, that, that was a great prank. I mean, he he was so <laughs> rattled that, like he, like he said, he chased me down the street and threw me into a bush while I was killing myself laughing. You know, when one of your, one of your friends kind of gets really angry and starts coming at you all angry and you just, it, you know, it kind of makes you giggle. That's Comical, basically yeah. what the situation was. And by the way, the reason I gave it to the, the server at the restaurant was because I lifted his wallet, made a mess of it, and then gave it back to the server and said, look, you know, as we're walking out, I need you to come out and say, you know, sorry, whose wallet is this? I was trying to get the server to get dregs to say mine because we play that ridiculously immature game where if someone else says the word mine, if you can get them to, they got to drop and do 10 push-ups right on the spot. So it was actually a very well-thought-out attempt by me to add to the hilarity of the situation by having Greg's drop down to do push-ups on the spot. Now, as it turns out, he was so you know enraged that he wasn't even thinking straight and didn't say it. But it was just it was just another layer of deviance from me. I like the uh, depth at which you're going to to plan this all out with with different layers. Um, is, oh, yeah. is that basically what road trips are like with you guys? Is one prank after another by a different person? Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I mean, if Dregs and I are probably like Dregs is sort of the silly stuff. I, I kind of mastermind larger pranks. If you ever have Farhan Lalji on, you'll have to ask him about uh, the prank I played on him in, in Italy. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, yeah, that was one of my better ones. We had a good one with Dregs actually, where we were covering the Stanley Cup final. I can't remember which year. It was Detroit and Pittsburgh, and we were driving back and forth between the two cities, you know, rather than flying. So we would have four or five hours in the car together. And we were heading back to Detroit. I believe the Wings were up with a chance to clinch. I think they were up maybe 3-2 or something like that with a chance to clinch. And, and basically, I was sitting in the backseat recording all of this as it was happening. Darren Dreger got a, uh, an email from one of our bosses. And he's like, what the, what is this? <laughs> What's going on, Dreg? So our boss asked him if he would, when he gets to Detroit, said, look, we'd really like um, you to stay and cover the parade. If the ring, if the wings win, and uh, not only that, but we'd love you to do an insider segment from the parade car um, <laughs> with with Mike Babcock. So if you could do like an insider segment from inside the parade car with Babcock, that'd be great. But you know, we really want to hit this hard, and we want to make sure we have all the resources. So if you can ask Babs ahead of time if that's okay, you know, that'd be great. <laughs> so, so he's sitting there thinking he's getting instructions before Game Six. To go ask Mike Babcock, hey, look, if you guys win, can I ride in the parade car with yeah. you and do an insider segment? And he thinks this is a serious request. 
So then John Liu even gives him a call to say, look, Dregs, I know they've asked you to do this and I'll be the one working with you. And, you know, and he's like, just hang on a second here. Like, this is not happening. Like, no chance. <laughs> and he starts swearing up a blue streak and losing his marbles. And I'm recording it all in the back. And then we're just killing ourselves laughing. And finally, we let him in on it. And even he admitted, he started laughing. He's like, oh, that was good. Yeah. We, we kept him on the hook for about 40 minutes of that road trip. And that that's in a car where you have nowhere to escape and all you, all you can go. do is think about it. Yep. Like basically the only thing you guys didn't ask him to do was wear a clown suit. I know. I know. And, and, you know, Dave Parker was driving and I think Dave knew what was going on right away, but Dregs is just so, you know, so wrapped up in his business. He had the blinders on and just, you know, the hook was in really deep and he just went with it. Uh, that but is... if you want to, if you want to hear Darren Dreger, you know, fire some profanities out there, ask him to do something he thinks is ridiculous. Oh, that is good <laughs> stuff. Now, is, is there anybody that is off limits? Like is, is Bob <clears throat> McKenzie off limits uh, for, for any of these things when you guys are on location? Yeah, does, does anybody get I a pass? I wouldn't mess around with Bob. That's, I don't know that I've ever done anything, you know, like that with Bob or to Bob. Um, I think, I think enough time has passed. I can tell the story on James Dossie. I think enough time has passed on All this right. one. All right. So we were at the draft in Pittsburgh and, uh, I was going through a bit of a tough time in my life, you know, some, some transitions from, you know, being married to not. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I was, uh, you know, I was, yeah, it was a bit of a rough go and I come in pretty late one night and decided it would be a good idea to go up to the uh, to the counter and say, uh, yes, uh, hi, my name is James Duffy, and I would like a 4 o'clock wake-up call, please. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this is the night before the draft. And the lady at the front is like, okay, and that's, uh, she's like, what room? And I'm like, oh, I, I can't remember. It's Duffy, D-U-T-H-I-E. She's like, okay, yes, so Mr. Duffy, your 4 o'clock wake-up call is set. And I'm like, okay, thank you very much. <laughs> upstairs and went to bed and completely forgot about it and then the next day i get to the draft and uh james duffy comes beelining over to me <laughs> and he's like up here so he pulls me up into the stand and he sits me down and he goes ryan i love you for the next 24 hours you are dead to me <laughs> dead to me I was like, and then it hit me. I remember. And I was like, oh. he goes, I have my family here. Oh. He woke my kids up. Oh. He woke my, it went horrendously wrong. It was a terrible idea. Total bogey by me. And James is such a good guy, but he was so mad. Dead to me. I was like, Mr. Duffy, that is more than fair. I'd like to <laughs> formally apologize for my actions. So, so anyways, and the thing about the draft, like, this is why it was so bad by me, because the draft is probably James's most stressful day of the year. Like, back when we were doing them and broadcasting the entire thing, it's a huge challenge mm-hmm, for him. Mm-hmm. And he's brilliant at it, as we know. But, you know, the man needs his sleep, as any of us would. And so, yeah, I was young and stupid and cocky, and it was dumb to do. And he put me firmly in my place. And to his credit, he and I were able to laugh about it that night. And, you know, it's been an ongoing joke between us. Whereas Dreg, I can't even talk to him about this wallet thing. Like, it, he took his net and went home. Yeah, exactly. On his backyard <laughs> rink that he has at, uh, yep. in, in his house. Um, so yep, it, he shut the lights off and made everybody go home. That's right. It, it sounds like, though, you know, <laughs> aside from you guys doing, um, you know, amazing work on the road, you guys have a lot of fun, which is what you have to oh, do. Yeah. You, you, you can't. You know, and you and Dave Parker have uh, such a great relationship. Yeah, I'm sure there's been um, you know, arguments here and there, like any camera person, operator, and, uh, and reporter. I'm not BSing you here. Dave and I have never had a tilt. Really? We've never had an argument where one of us got upset with the other. How long have you guys worked together? Like, uh, well, I mean, I work, we worked together back at CTV back right. in the early 2000s. But at TSN, I don't know, 10, 12 years, something like that. That's amazing. And it, it's bizarre, man. Yeah, I, I don't even know how to explain it. We've never had a moment where it was like, I'm pissed off and I got to talk to you about it and sat down and had it out. We have never even had one of those. Like, uh, he is so easy and good to work with and so professional. 
um, I mean, he's my road wife, and we just it's it's we just get along amazingly. Yeah, he, That's he, weird. he he's a great guy. My, my wife Trish, when she worked at Aquila, uh, just uh, which is you know how how that relationship happened with. Uh, yep. TSN in the beginning uh, said he was just a treat to work with, especially when they were doing CFR. So you're you're really yep. lucky in that regard, and lucky that like like I was saying, you know, you don't want to go to work thinking oh, I got to work with this person beside me or this person or that. You can't do your job properly, in my opinion, if if that's the way you feel. You have to enjoy the people yep. you work with. Yeah, and and I feel extremely fortunate to work where I do with the people that I do because for all these tales of us pissing each other off and and driving each other crazy. Um, you know, the truth of the matter is, is, you know, these guys are like brothers to me, you know, Dregs and James and Bobby and for, you know, and Ray and just, just the whole crew. Um, yeah, I feel like, you know, and Frankie, you know, I get to go on the road with some of my best friends and, uh, we get along great. There's a really healthy respect among all of us. Uh, we work together. We're a really good team. Uh, yeah, I, I feel super fortunate to feel the way I do about the people that I work with. Uh, and Parker certainly included in that. Although Parker, you know what? I misspoke. Parker did piss me off once. Oh, okay. I, I can't fall asleep on planes. I've never been able to. And uh, we were flying in from Denver, and we had a delay on the tarmac. And I actually, I think we might have had a late night the night before. So I actually was able to doze off. And uh, Dave sees me fall asleep and reaches over. There's someone between us in the middle seat, reaches over, and picture me just like out cold with my head on the headrest and flick me as hard as he can right under the bridge of my nose. Wow. Like wakes me out of a dead sleep with a, with a nose flick. And, uh, you talk about going from, you know, nice blissful sleep to outraged in 0.5 seconds. <laughs> and he just sat there laughing and the guy in between us was like, what is going on here? thought he was gonna have to break up a fight oh, no. uh, it get took me a few off. minutes i was able to have a laugh about that yeah you don't want to get kicked off a plane uh that, that's no. definitely doesn't want to you don't want to have to happen uh we're uh, speaking with ryan rashog you can follow him on twitter at tsn ryan rashog and um you, you moved around a bit as a kid and then you uh you end up uh in uh, kamloops um where you're in yep. high school and uh, you make the team as an 18 year old walk on with the blazers uh what was that yeah. like back then that's a pretty storied franchise to make as a walk-on yeah well i mean you know people always say to me when they find out i played in Kamloops, oh did you win one of the mem cup <laughs> and i go yeah no 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 <laughs> I would have never been able to play on either one of those teams. I mean, I think they won the back-to-back cup there. And I made it the year after, you know, when Darcy Tucker and Tyson Nash and Ryan Huska and, you know, Jerome McGinley and Shane Doan and all the good players all trickled out of the organization. Although I did play with Jerome my first year. But, uh, yeah, no, it was was great. I mean, I played two years of midget AAA, um, you know, graduated with all my buddies playing midget AAA together. And then, honestly, I I was thinking I'd be done hockey. And I thought, whatever, I'll put in one more summer of training and I'll try out for the, for the Blazers because they had some openings on the right side. And I thought, if I make it, great. If I don't, I'll pack it in, go to school and, and get on with my life. So I was, honestly, I was going to be done with hockey if I didn't make the Blazers. And I felt like I had a really outside shot. And so I kind of went into camp without much to lose and didn't really care. And uh, yeah, I just, you know, I went banging and crashing around and got to do a few scraps and got noticed. And, and yeah, just lucky enough to, to make the team. And I was, I was so borderline being in that league. Like I was, I was the bottom 5% of, you know, quality of players in that league, but they had a spot for me. And, uh, yeah, I tried to go about my business, you know, honestly, not much skill and was able to stick around. So actually the reason I made that team was because Shane Doan made the Winnipeg Jets. Really? Yeah. Like my coach even called me in and said, look, Doan's probably coming back. There's a spot for you in Victoria. With the salsa at the time, you know, do you want to go? Well, you still got your eligibility and, and you're good. And I said, nah, you know what? I just want to hang around. Like, but if donor comes back, then fine. You got to cut me, cut me. But no, I, let me stay till he's, till he gets here. And he was like, okay. So then, uh, some of the veterans had been, uh, walking around with a video camera to send, they were making a tape to send to Shane Doan, like a good luck tape. <laughs> like, go get him, buddy. Go yeah. get him. And, you know, so guys were talking about, Funny, years later, Donor and I have talked about this, and he remembers this. So the camera's going around, and all of a sudden, I, I like stepped in front of it, and I was like, Shane, you don't know me. My name is Ryan, and you have to make the Winnipeg Jets. If you don't, <laughs> I'm done. 
I'm your biggest fan. Go, Shane, don't go. I basically popped onto the camera and hijacked the video and was like, I am the guy who suffers if you don't make it. Right. So go. And, and so we ended up making the team and staying. Uh, and that was my spot in Kamloops. Oh, that's good stuff. Well, it's a uh, good karma for you. It, uh, it helped out and, um, yeah. it's great that you guys could have a laugh at it, uh, years later. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, you suffer a back injury and you get into broadcasting school. When did you, when did you, <laughs> did you know, even before, like, did you know in high school you wanted to be in broadcasting? Like, when did you know yeah. that if hockey isn't going to work out, I'm going to go into this? My mom has tapes of me at like eight years old. Awesome. Being like, hey, this is Ryan Rashog, and you're listening to Sports Talk on, <laughs> on you know, DFRN Radio, and call in at 483-3355. Like, I, I was the kid that fell asleep listening to John Short every night. Awesome. In my, uh, you know, my alarm clock in my room. So, you know, I, I always had an interest in it. And then, actually, when I was, when I was in Kamloops, my second year, when I was trying to recover from this back injury, um, I asked if I could go on the road and do color in the booth for, uh, for oh, a game just cool. to give it a try. So Jeff Patterson, who is now a Vancouver Canucks broadcaster, was the our play-by-play guy at the time. But sure. So I went to Kelowna and I did color for a game in the booth next to JP. The problem was Kelowna, it was always a brawl there. It was just a gong show in Kelowna, that tiny little rink they used to have. And it was a fight-filled game, and I was losing my marbles in the stands. I wanted to crawl out onto the ice. Like, you know, somebody beat me up here because, you know, all my teammates and buddies are getting into it, and I'm in the, in the stands. Uh, but it was a ton of fun, and that was sort of my first live broadcast experience, and I really enjoyed it. And when, uh, when I made the decision um, that it just, you know, my back just wasn't going to get better enough to continue playing, um, that was a pretty quick, you know, within two weeks I'd applied to BCIT to the broadcast program. And, uh, I had a job at Earl. I was bartending at Earl shortly after that. And, uh, I had my plans in place. That's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, that you wanted to, like you could, you knew what you wanted to do at, uh, at such a young age. I, I love those stories when, uh, you know, you find out about, uh, uh, tapes or, you know, even, um, you know, kids that want to grow up to be hockey players and then they get to, uh, you know, put the John Tavera story, right? With the, the yeah. blanket. He knew he eventually, and, and you knew you wanted to be broadcasting. And, and ironically enough, um, you end up in Kamloops covering the team you were playing with and, and yeah. covering players that you were teammates with. That had to be a little bit strange, especially for your first job. Listen, we all get to our first job and think we know everything. And then you look back 20 yeah. years and you realize you knew nothing. But what was that like? Yeah, it was kind of crazy. Well, there was sort of two elements to that. So when I quit, and to be clear, like my back injury was serious enough that I decided I didn't want to play anymore. But I also knew I was going nowhere. Like I said, I was a very borderline player in that league. And it just, you know, I was maybe a little, I was probably mature for my age. And I just sort of realized it's not going to be worth it to chase this. So my first job as a bartender at Earl's, the team would come in all the time. (laughs) I was serving them. I was serving the guy later that season. I <laughs> no BS. It was weird. Uh, then I go away to broadcast school for 10 months. My first summer back, uh, I landed a job at the TV station covering the team. And I didn't go back for my second year of broadcast. So yeah, now I'm in the dressing room with my microphone, you know, interviewing guys, doing stories and trying to, and trying to cover the team. And yeah, it was, it was bizarre. Now some of my best friends were playing on that team. And uh, it, was a, it was a good learning experience. I was really passionate about what I was doing. No, I wasn't ashamed. I was, I was all about it. And, you know, I had questions to ask. And I tried to do good journalism even way, way, way back then and tried to cover the team as, you know, unbiased as I could. And it was a really good early lesson for me in how, you know, how to be an unbiased reporter. You have to be. A hundred percent. That would be a great lesson because you could not give your buddies a pass. No, no. I mean, I, yeah, I like, you know, boy, AJ Baines was terrible in the face-off circle tonight. You know, meanwhile, I'm grabbing lunch with him the next day. Right. You know, like, and, and things get around in a small town. Actually, we had one, one really funny one where, where Bainesy was named best face-off man in the Western league. It might've been the Western conference. I can't remember. So I went to go do a story on him about this. 
And I thought I'll be fine. I'll throw the wheels back on and we'll go out and we'll have a little friendly competition. Like we'll just show everybody how good AJ is. And so we had a best of seven on the, uh, you know, let's do a best of seven. And so the whole team heard this was happening. They all filed on out of the bench and they're watching us. So it's me against captain AJ Bain, you know, <laughs> face off extraordinaire. And I was not a center. Um, cameras are rolling and I cleaned them four straight. Wow. <laughs> but here's the thing, pure luck. Like on my best day, I could not do that again. But I cleaned them four straight and everybody was like, what? And AJ was rattled. And so I did my stand-up. I, AJ was doing push-ups and I had my foot on his back while he was doing push-ups. Beautiful. It was like such a navel-gazing, cocky, arrogant way to do that story. But I was a cocky, navel-gazing 22-year-old or 21-year-old at the time. And Seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, that is awesome. Uh, Ryan Rashog <laughs> from TSN is joining us here on the Sports and More podcast. You could follow him on Twitter at TSN Ryan Rashog. And y- you've been able to, uh, through your career, cover amazing things, uh, you know, f- all kinds of uh, championships, Stanley Cups, everything. But April 6, 2018, um, started uh, a story that you would be covering that uh, I'd imagine changed your life in a way. Uh, unfortunately, it changed. Uh, the life of so many people when 16 people were killed and 13 injured in a uh, bus crash uh, carrying the humble Broncos junior team. And you covered that story a lot, Ryan. Um, was it was it life-changing for you in a way? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll never be the same after after that experience. And, uh, you know, the, the toughest, most emotional, difficult, challenging work. And again, it's not about us. I mean... Right. It, it's always felt odd to me when people ask me questions about sort of my experience. So I, I always feel the need to sort of put that caveat out there that nothing that we went through, nothing I went through or experienced is a drop in the bucket compared to what, you know, this community and these families who lost loved ones went through. Um, and my heart just goes out to them every single day still. Um, but yeah, from a personal standpoint, it was, it was tough. You know, I'm a, I identify with it on a bunch of different levels, right? So when I was a kid growing up in Prince George, we used to billet players from junior A team. So I understand it from the standpoint of the billet families and, and what heroes those players are in their local communities. Um, you know, then I, I grew up playing hockey and played junior hockey, and I rode on buses on those highways. And so I understand it from the perspective of the player on that bus and how it's such a sacred place being on the bus together. And then, you know, on top of it, I'm a father of teenagers and teenage boys. And so I understand it from the standpoint of the, you know, the parent. And I just feel like I kind of identified with it in a bunch of, from a, a bunch of different angles. And uh, yeah, for sure, man, that was as big a challenge as I, I hope I'll ever face professionally. Um, you know, incredibly rewarding is the wrong word, but you know, I've had lots of interactions with the family members since, you know, our documentary and since our projects went to air and, you know, they're very, very appreciative of the way we handled things. And in that way, it's been very rewarding. Yeah. The, you know, the, the, one of the reasons, uh, you know, I wanted to be in sports, um, you know, when I got into broadcasting, but you know, I had to start out in news and, um, the, one of the reasons I wanted to get out of the news is I didn't want to um, you know, go knock on doors after a car accident and have to ask those tough questions. So, you know, yeah. asking those questions of the family and the teammates, um, that had to be incredibly hard. Um, but I, th- I you know, I, I think some of the people, you know, wanted to tell those, their, their stories of their, of their loved ones. And that was a way for them to be able to do that. Yeah. And, and I think it's important, you know, that we went about our business in a way where we didn't push anybody. Right. Um, we were very respectful. You know, I was just, even, even in the days that followed the accidents, I mean, you know, we did a couple of um, pretty significant interviews, but there were people who came to us, you know, and, and people who clearly were needing and wanting to talk. You know, I just wasn't going to run around town chasing people. I, I just, I didn't have it in me and I didn't want to. And, you know, so we were there, we were telling stories and then, you know, people came to us and, and you know, Chris Joseph came you know, I ran into him in the parking lot and he was about to head back to Edmonton, but he, he just felt like he had some things he needed to say about Jackson before he left, you know? And so we did, we sat down and did an incredibly difficult and emotional interview. And I just, we decided early on, we were not going to be predatory in any way. We were not going to push people. And we maintained that through all of our projects. I mean, through our hour long documentary that we did, um, you know, and it was, it was a, 
it was a con the, the lines of communication were constantly open with all of the families. And we, I spoke with almost every single family about what our projects were, why we were doing them, you know, concerns they had talked them all through it. And slowly over the course of, you know, eight, 10 months had to build the trust, you know, for them to be okay with us doing it because we decided early on, we were not going to do either of these projects, the, the, the opener, you know, when they decided they were going to play again next season and we broadcast that right. or the documentary, we were not doing either of those. If we didn't feel we had the moral footing to do them from the family. And we ended up getting that. And we were very proud of the project because we knew that in the end, the families fundamentally were okay with what we were doing. What did you learn about the resiliency of people and, and that community in general? Yeah. I mean, the strength that people, you know, the strength that people show in the face of your worst nightmare, um, it, it kind of boggles my mind. I mean, Tyler, there's no better example than Tyler Smith, you know, one of the, one of the survivors of the crash lives out in the Duke. Um, you know, Tyler was like a, just a glue guy in that dressing room. He was a guy that was, um, you know, not the best player in there, but an important player in there. And, uh, you know, he survived the crash. Um, you know, so many of his friends, so many people he loved. And, uh, you know, every day is like all those other boys that survived is just pushing forward, pushing forward. And, you know, he got back into the lineup later on that year. He was able to, uh, you know, get, I think he came back in mid-October, um, you know, spent another month there playing and then just decided he couldn't do it, you know, mm. and just, he just, it was just too much. He needed to get home to his family and continue his healing process. You know, we did a few projects with him that were just, I mean, unbelievable the way he was willing to share, you know, every aspect of what he'd been through. But these people, you know, the Tobin family, who we went and did a piece with, their journey was incredibly difficult with some of the details of how things happened for them. Yeah, they're just these amazing people and they're supporting one another. They're helping each other through it. You know, they're wearing their hearts on their sleeves. They're pushing for positive initiatives and they just desperately want something good or positive to have come from this tragedy. And I'm touched by, you know, seeing each of them and the way that they're trying to move on. And, and yeah, man, I, it's, it has dramatically affected me for sure. Who did you lean on? Um, during that time, I, I imagine you and Parker yeah. uh, leaned on each other, you know, who was your support group? Because, you know, like we said, the, the families are, are going through the, uh, the ultimate, uh, you know, I, I don't know what ordeal, um, but those who cover it and, and you talk to people that cover, uh, you know, war areas and things like that, it, it does affect them. So who was your support yeah. group? Yeah, 100%. My family was uh, was amazing. My wife, Randine, uh, was incredible for me. Um, you know, it was basically over a year of me constantly being on the phone, constantly preoccupied, constantly having things to juggle. We were on holidays together, you know, trying to get away for a week, and I'm talking on the phone, you know, with families. And um, it was basically just, she lost me for a year. And, you know, and, and full disclosure, like, it got pretty intense. It got pretty pretty dark. And, you know, Dean, I've always deeply respected your openness, you know, in issues of, of mental health. Um, and so I'm 100% comfortable to share that, you know, I, I needed to get some help. Mm -hmm. I needed to do some grief counseling. Um, you know, I, I, you know, kept catastrophizing and, you know, visualizing awful things happening to my family and, you know, my boys and my, I couldn't get this stuff out of my head. It was, it was really messing me up for a little while. And TSN was super supportive. They were incredible. You know, this Bell Let's Talk initiative, they don't, this is not just a, you know, let's get a bunch of attention. They, they walked the walk. They took great care of me. They gave me lots of time off when I needed it. They checked in with me regularly to make sure I was doing okay. They told me anything you need, we've got your back. And, uh, you know, I had counseling provided, you know, my family was incredible. Uh, it was a grind, man. And, uh, yeah, but I primarily would have been my wife who I was leaning on the most just to, you know, how many times I was sitting here, you know, writing a piece and just in tears and she'd come in and, you know, just have her hand on my shoulder and, you know, just help me through it. And yeah, she was, she was incredible. And, uh, and, you know, so was my company. So I, I felt incredibly supported through all of it. But again, I feel the need to say what we went through was nothing compared to what those yeah. families went through, but you can't help but be deeply affected by this stuff.
It, totally. Well, I, I really commend you for making sure that you did, uh, you know, reach out and, and get help. I, I wish I would have done that uh, five years before I was diagnosed and, and my life yeah. might be a whole lot better. So, um, you know, th- th- it's great that you didn't ignore it. And, um, you know, th- thanks to things like Bell Let's Talk Day, um, you know, more people feel the need to, or feel comfortable reaching out for help. So it, it is a yeah. good thing. And, uh, you know, like you said, I talk about it, uh, the more people talk about it, the more we normalize mental health. And if you have a broken arm, you would go to the doctor to get it fixed. So there's, there's no difference with, with your mental health. So yeah. And the process was really good. You know, I didn't really know what to expect. And you know, what you realize when you go do that is that it's, you know, it, it doesn't need to be something that is reactionary once something goes wrong. Right. Like we tend to treat our mental health. We're very reactionary in managing it. You know, something goes wrong, you go get help. What I've realized over the years is that um, I, I treat counseling more like an oil change for your car. Yeah. You know, like it's just something that I just regularly go do now because it's, you know, and, and my wife and I will go regularly too. Nothing's wrong. Like we're all good, but we, we have the coverage. It's good for us. It keeps the lines of communication open. So it's something that we just take care of. We treat it like an oil change rather than a, a repair. And, and I think for your, for your mental health, that's a good thing to do. So when I, you know, through the process of going and doing grief counseling because of the trauma I was feeling as a result of Humboldt, I realized I have all this unresolved stuff from you know, when I very, very suddenly lost my dad four years prior right. and realizing how much is left over from that. You know, stuff that's left over even from my divorce. Like, we go through these things in our life and we, we bite down and we grin and we bear it and we push through. We don't really realize some of the damage that's done until you go and really start peeling some of the layers back and really have a chance to address it and deal with it and understand where some of this stuff is coming from. Totally. I, I think every person on earth could benefit from going to therapy, whether you think you have something wrong with you or you know you have something or you don't, uh, just like you said, uh, like an oil change. That's a great analogy for that, Ryan. Um, Okay, I want to wrap up quickly with some uh, Oilers talk because that is, um, you know, one of the main focuses uh, that you have in your job and uh, and 2-0 start in uh, New York to take on the Islanders tonight. Um, Maybe not the the most uh, polished victories, but at the end of April, if you make the playoffs, Nobody's asking you uh, about those first two games. They're just counting up the points. So what have you liked and what, are, what maybe has you concerned through the first couple of games? Yeah. So, I mean, their whole mantra through training camp and hurtling towards the regular season was got to cut down on the goals again. And they haven't been able to do that yet. Right. So from a defensive standpoint, everything they're wanting to put in place and improve on, they haven't been able to, to do that yet. Now, losing Adam Larson was tough and it's only two games. Uh, so defensively, they still need to get away from making the big mistake that they were so prone to so often last year. Um, that would be kind of more on the negative side. And I think the bottom six that they built to try and have a higher quality of game line three through four. Uh, I don't think they've been getting enough of that yet from those guys. Uh, although again, they had a couple of guys that were hurt in just their second game. So those are things we're waiting to take shape that will fundamentally improve this team defense and a better bottom six we're still waiting on those what i do like i think there's a there's a grit and a work ethic that is showing some early signs here that i like there's a resilience and there's a pushback with this team that i like and i think it's going to serve them well and this is no surprise i mean dave tippett and the teams that he coached over the years had this quality and if he's able to instill that into this group and into his even his high-end skilled players uh, there's a resilience and a competitiveness that I see the early signs of that I really like, but I think is going to serve them well. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the the Adam Larson injury is an interesting one. I think if Clefbaum would have been injured again, that would have been um, a really, really big blow to them. Um, not to saying Adam Larson isn't as important. Um, Mike Smith started the first two games. I thought his puck handling was brilliant in the opener, and obviously we saw on Saturday night, but... Uh, if Listen, I feel the same way about Mike Smith handling the puck as I do about uh, Don Cherry saying don't block shots and things like that because you're going to tip it behind uh, past the goalie. 
I think more shots are deflected wide than ever get to the net than are deflected in the net. And I, sure. I think I think there's going to be more benefit to Mike Smith playing the puck than not playing the puck. He's going to give up the odd goal, but he's going to prevent so many more hits. He's going to you know create uh, power plays by firing it into the skates for too many men. Um, I, I don't have a problem with what happened on Saturday night because I expect that to happen every once in a while. And, and I, I think the benefits outweigh the bad with Mike Smith playing the puck. Yeah, well, I do have a problem with it. Okay. I think that, and I, and I respectfully, um, but look, I agree with you. Mistakes are going to happen. And when you have a goalie that's aggressive in playing the puck, then, you know, those mistakes are going to happen. The problem I have is that it happened twice. The first one was one of the worst puck playing decisions I've seen in a really, really long <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Just, just an overly aggressive play that just was ill-conceived from the beginning. And I understand that those things are going to happen. <clears throat> but I think it's up to Mike Smith or any puck playing goaltender to recognize when something like that happens. No, you can't entirely change your game, but you got to go, okay, there's one. I got to dial it in a little bit here and I need to play on the safe side of things. I got to settle things down and, and let things relax a little bit. And he didn't, he was every bit as aggressive moving forward, playing the puck and playing the puck and playing the puck. And then he screwed it up again. And I think you got to recognize it's like you're a forward and, you know, you, you need to be given the green light to create offense, but you need to understand there's a time and a place to do it. And I think Mike Smith needs to be able to recognize, okay, this is not the time and the place to take chances. I got to dial it in. I got to stay home for now. And there will be a time and a place where I can do it again. You got, you can't be all or nothing all the time. You got to be able to have that aspect of your game come and go based on the situation. The uh, the top players uh, for the Oilers have been pretty dominant. I mean, Leon Dreisel, his opening game is one of the best games I've uh, seen him play. He played uh, 26 yeah, minutes plus, and uh, again the other night, 26 minutes plus. He's on so, a mission. Yeah, he just, he just looks like he's really, really mid-season form. And, and then you throw in four points from McDavid on Saturday and the game winner on uh, Thursday. Um, not that we ever had to worry about those guys and their production, but man, they seem like they're shot out of a cannon, even though McDavid, um, you know, didn't play a lot in the preseason. Yeah. And, and I didn't think Connor, full disclosure, I don't think Connor was very good by Connor's standards in the first game. Right. He was still better than almost everybody else out there. Right. But let's judge him by his standards, right? Bad game, good game, great game. He was, you know, somewhere between not great game and okay game. Um, but then all of a sudden, boom, at the end, that's what McDavid can do for you. So a rusty start, which not criticizing him at all. I mean, he's getting over a six-month flip in rehab. Yeah. Uh, and then in the second game, he looked like it, it was just a great game. Completely different player, um, was controlling the play. So whatever jitters there were in his hands were completely gone. He was just back to making the same old McDavid-type plays. Uh, yeah, this is the best one-two punch in the league. These guys are all world, and it'll be interesting to see how far they can push it. And, you know, I was, having a, I was having a conversation with a colleague in Toronto the other day. And, you know, again, is they're starting the, is the gap between Matthews and McDavid closing. <laughs> and I keep saying to them out there, I keep saying the conversation that is more relevant is Matthews and Dreisaitl. That is a more accurate comparison. You know, Dreisaitl just had a 50-goal, 100-point season. Um, and the conversation needs to be as often Matthews entering into Leon Dreisaitl territory. And, then, of course, they all just scoff at that, like, what? Yeah, but uh, I mean, we watch this guy play every day. They watch Austin Matthews play every day. Um, I think that Connor's in a class of his own, and the more relevant conversation is Leon and Austin. One hundred percent. Let's wrap up with uh, your thoughts on uh, James Neal through training camp, a couple of games, and yep. uh, you know throughout the season. Do you think that this this is a guy can that can return to the twenty plus goal mark? Yeah, I think he can potentially get 20. I'm not going to get too excited about, you know, one solid performance and a couple of goals. I think there's a reason why things went south for him in Calgary, and it takes longer than just a few weeks to have all of that taken care of. What I'll say is that it's a great sign that he got some good stuff done early. It's a great sign that he has integrated so well into this group. And I think it's a really good sign that on that power play in that spot, um, he's making it interesting. I mean, Chason has some claim to that spot as well, but he's, you know, he's putting a stamp on this saying he feels he belongs there. So some really good early returns. This is the thing about James Neal. When things are going well with the Oilers, it's going to be all good with James Neal. Right. If things turn sideways and start going the other way, 
Is he going to be a guy that can throw some people on his shoulders and help get it going in the right direction? The Oilers hope so. And if he is that guy, I mean, that's a huge, huge swing for them to go from Milan Lucic and what he was providing to James Neal. Yeah, and and just one more quick one, Zach Cassian. Um, you know, yeah. this guy could be a really important piece for the Edmonton Oilers this year. And you think back to not maybe this time last year, but in the area where he had asked for a trade, and and now he you know has uh, had a great season last year. And this this is you know when Zach Cassian is banging and crashing and has energy, he is really important to the Oilers. When he's not, he's a liability sometimes. Yeah, he can be a liability because he'll get frustrated in his game and take yeah. some bad penalties, and, and he can kind of disappear for a while. Um, but this is the thing about Cassian. Um, he's a player that might, in the past, he was a player that would drive you nuts through an 82-game season. Like, he'd drive you nuts because you see the skill, you see the, the speed, you see the physicality, the toughness, and it's like you just you feel like you want more from him based on what you know his toolbox possesses. Um, so games one through 82, he'll frustrate the heck out of you. But day one of the playoffs, you are so happy you have Zach Cassian. Mm-hmm. He is worth whatever he gives you through the regular season. He's worth dealing with all of it to get to the playoffs and have him on your roster because he's one of those guys you're going to be so glad you have. And if you recall, he was one of the better Oilers in that first round series a couple of years ago when they were in the playoffs. Now he's taking his game from kind of that unreliable bottom six guy that you weren't sure now he's sort of saying, eh, I might be able to do this, being a top six forward. And you add that, and that's just, it's taking it to a whole new level with him. Yeah, I, I didn't think he would be able to stick in the uh, top six, particularly on that uh, top it's line early. at times. Um, yeah, it's early. We'll see. Yeah. You know, I, like if he goes back to that inconsistent, frustrating right. game that can kind of drive a coach nuts, then he'll drop. For yeah. sure he will. But in the early going here, he's skating miles, making plays, high skill plays, feeling the confidence and when you inject some confidence into a guy that has that that skill set man uh, they could have just found themselves a really good high-end power forward that can contribute offensively uh good stuff uh, ryan this has been a, a lot of fun uh i know uh, there's a lot of people that uh, are glad you didn't get into too many fights when you were in a junior and mess up that pretty <laughs> face of yours because they yeah. like seeing it on tv uh but you do a great job uh i i really want to say that you did an amazing job uh covering a, a tough tough story in humboldt uh, i applaud you for uh, reaching out for help and and speaking about it and um, I also look forward to hearing about uh, the, the next pranks that you pull on uh, road trips. But uh, once again, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, continued success in, in what you do with you and your family, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Yeah, absolutely, buddy. Congratulations on the early success of the podcast. Uh, really glad to be sharing the airwaves with you again. And uh, anytime you want to have me on, you let me know. And you do got to get Farhan on and ask him about the prank in Torino. I will for sure. Thanks, Shogger. Okay, take care, pal. Holy poly baby, don't clench your teeth. Be yourself and breathe deep. This is the Sports and More podcast no with Dean Millard. To a long life. So do not lie and do what's right. Always have humility. Do your best to succeed. That's a great tune from Sweet Bejesus off their debut album, Policeman's Creek, Roly Poly Baby. And uh, you can check that out on Apple Music, Kevin Dabbs and Christian Gutzis. And uh, that song is actually written about uh, young Jack Dabbs, a strapping young lad um, who is destined for great things. So uh, all the music, by the way, on Sports & More, the podcast, and Sports & More Live, which you can hear Monday to Friday, 2 till 4, on the 12-Ounce Sports Radio Network. All of our music done by uh, the great guys of Sweet But Jesus. All right, so you just heard uh, Ryan Rashog, and thanks very much to him. Um, great conversation, and uh, obviously, uh, you know, one of the best reporters in Canada when it comes to sports. Uh, that leads us into our Acme Meat Market trivia question. It's going to have a Rashog flavor to it. So if you were paying attention to the interview, you will know the answer to this question. And if you know the answer to this question, you can win a gift card from Acme Meat Market. That's what's up for grabs. You can go say hi to Corey, Amanda, and their wonderful staff 
in the Ritchie Market in Edmonton at 9570 76th Avenue. And you can check out their website, www.acmemeatmarket.ca. Acme Meat Market since 1921. And know that when you get something from Corey the Butcher, that's his Twitter handle, by the way, at Corey the Butcher, uh, you're getting it from Canada's, one of Canada's top butchers. I, I would say the top butcher in Canada. He's too humble to ever accept that uh, title. Uh, but he was recently named to Team Canada for the World Butchers Challenge in September 2020. So just think of it like uh, he's the Marc Messier of butchers. A great Canadian butcher going to the World Butcher Challenge. So if you know, if you paid attention in that interview, you can answer this question and get a gift card from Acme Meat Market. Once again, in the Ritchie Market, 9570 76th Avenue. So if you know the answer to this question, email it to sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. That's sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. And if you're uh, correct, we'll hook you up with a gift card. What NHL player made the Winnipeg Jets that allowed Ryan Rashog to make the Kamloops Blazers? You heard his answer. You heard him talking about making a video for this player. What NHL player made the Winnipeg Jets that allowed Ryan Rashog to stay in Kamloops? As for our answer, a question and answer last week, what team signed Timu Solani to an offer sheet in 92-93? That would be the Calgary Flames. Uh, they offered him a three-year, $2.7 million deal. The Jets matched it, and 76 goals later, he held the rookie record for goals and will always likely hold it. Uh, obviously, that was... Uh, because we had our good friend uh, Yoni Niemann in studio, uh, has a really good uh, relationship and has covered uh, all the great Finnish players. If you missed that episode, I highly recommend going and checking that out at sportsandmore.ca. And that's where you can find all of our podcasts. All right, uh, let's carry on with the show. Discount sex shop. We're at the corner of Libido and Cleavage. Kidding. First of May, come down see me. Ask for Harry. I'm the guy with a snake on his face. I love you. From SCTV to the big screen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> John Candy was a comedic legend. Buck melanoma. Molly Russell's wart. Oh, oh, that feels good. Oh, God, I'm telling you. My dogs are barking today. We now celebrate another great John Candy character. I like me. My wife likes me. My customers like me. Because I'm the real article. What you see is what you get. All right, today's John Candy character is uh, Johnny LaRue uh, from SCTV and uh, specifically a show called Cooking with Johnny LaRue. Cooking with LaRue. This is a character we have talked about before, uh, but he's a recurring character, uh, so we will chat about him uh, from time to time. Uh, he was an actor at SCTV, a producer, talk show host, a city councillor in Mellonville, and Obviously, a cooking show host. You know, today's show is going to be a little different. I've been reading the newspaper recently, and I found out that there's some poor people out there in the world, people on welfare and disability. I don't know what it is. It's, I guess you just can't afford to cook what I'm cooking on my show, and I want to help you out as much as I can because I'm a friend of yours. You know that. All right. Well, okay, let's get right to today's recipe. It's a little thing I call tabby surprise casserole. All right, Tabby surprise casserole because his first ingredient is something called paws and whiskers cat food. Then he rolls out the rest of the casserole items uh, along with the cat food. Okay, now the ingredients you need, you need some ketchup, some water, uh, some breadcrumbs. You can steal them from the pigeons in the park where you're going to get the grass probably because that's probably where you're living these days. You need some salt and pepper. You can shoplift all this stuff if you want. Just don't tell them where you got that idea from. Okay, let's get down to it now. You get a couple cans of cat food. You throw it in a preheated skillet in here, all right? Just sort of... All right, so as LaRue continues to cook, and not very well, by the way, he starts uh, to change a little bit with his mood. You know, he started out saying, uh, I'm reading the paper, and there's a lot of 
poor people out there. I want to make something for you. And then he kind of starts going off the rails, uh, as Johnny LaRue tends to do. Oh, God. Don't you people go get a job for crying out loud, you know? Maybe this stuff will build up your strength. You can go pick up your welfare checks in time. <laughs> so he's really taking shots now. And uh, he has a casserole in the oven already because the one he's cooking uh, does not turn out well. So he just says, okay, I got one in the oven. It's just about done. And uh, here we go. Um, who wants to taste this whatever it is casserole? All right. You get a little grass and you can throw that on there. Now I'm going to get somebody from the audience. Come on out here. You. Come on, old lady. No. Come on, you old lady. Come on. No, All right. Doesn't that look good to you? Huh? Doesn't that look good? It's new. Come on, eat it, you poor slob. Come on, get in there and eat it. Come on, get in there. Come on, I made it just for you. You poor Hey, come on. What are you talking about? You poor slobs. Why don't you go out and get a job for crying out loud? I've been working since I was nine years old. Yeah, sure. Look where I am today. I'm right on top. One of the best cooking shows in the world. Yeah, galloping on me. Sure. Uh, there's Johnny LaRue. Uh, like, like most things with Johnny LaRue, this kicking sh cooking show ended in disaster, but it did give us another great John Candy character. Oh, that's hot. That's hot. What's hot right now? Hansel. So hot right now. Hansel. Let's explore in Cool of the Week. Very well. Where do I begin? So for Cool of the Week, which is basically something that uh, I think is cool this week, um, something I may have discovered, uh, something that uh, may be brand new, uh, something that uh, you all out there knew, and I just discovered that happens quite a bit for me. But uh, my Cool of the Week this week is the series American Horror Story 1984. If you've never heard of uh, American Horror Story, uh, I feel bad for you because uh, it is is amazing. We got a winner. I said we got a winner. It dates back. I've, I've been watching this show for, uh, I don't know, six, seven years, uh, maybe more. I can't even remember. Um, but, you know, there was a murder house episode. There was an asylum episode, um, a circus freaks episode. There's been just crazy good episodes. Witches, covens. Uh, last year was called Apocalypse. It was awesome. And this year is 1984. And if you're um, at all a uh, a fan of some scary movies like where this sound effect came from <laughs> then you're going to like American Horror Story 1984 it's basically the Friday the 13th theme people of the young and uh horny you're gonna, you might say, um, our camp counselors, young guys and gals, go up to this camp Redwood. It's called, not Crystal Lake, like in Friday the Thirteenth, and they're counselors uh, for a season. And crazy stuff is happening. Uh, there's no Jason Voorhees, but it's Mr. Jingles, and it's all set in 1984. So the '84 Olympics are going on. Um, the low, the lingo, the clothes, the hairstyles. It's all 1984. So if you're a child of the '80s you will like this. So it's American Horror Story 1984. It's on FX, and uh, you can binge watch it on FX now if you want to check that out. So that is American Horror Story 1984. And uh, that's what we're talking about uh, when it comes to Cool of the Week. you do if you were obscenely rich 100 billion dollars tweet us at duck millard and start building your lottery list do you plan to do if you win the lottery well i'd finally splurge and buy myself one of those fancy four-piece suits peter my god what the hell are you wearing it's a solid gold tuxedo lois <laughs> All right, obscenely rich list today is uh, baseball playoffs for me, and and by the way, the the obscenely rich list is just 
anything you would do if you won the lottery. Whatever obscenely rich is to you, that's what you would do. And um, just pretend. My dad and I used to play this game all the time on road trips. What would you do if you won the lottery? I passed the time. I would get so into it. I would start believing that I had the money. And now I've made, written down lottery lists. Things I would do if I won the lottery. If I was obscenely rich. And today it's a um, Major League Baseball playoff uh, fantasy. I would go to uh, from the beginning of the wild card game. I, I might even actually, I would even start on the final week of the season. I would, um, you know, this year you had Cleveland and Tampa and the A's all battling. So I would go to one of those games or maybe a different game on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday uh, of all of however many teams are playing. I would start the final weekend and then boom, I'd go to the wild card game. One of them. Maybe two of them, depending on where they were um, and, and what time they were at. Because I'd be obscenely rich, I would have like a, a easily a helicopter or a private plane uh, to go to games. And I would go to a different game day or night uh, each day. And sometimes it would be maybe, like I said, maybe two in one day. You know, when you get to the, the league championship series and you got four games in one day, you could watch an, an afternoon game. And then, you know, there's on the, the East Coast um, you can go to uh, the the Nationals game uh, or the uh, I don't know the the St. Louis game and then get to the Yankee game at night something like that. I would do that. I would go to as every single game as I could. A different day, another game until the World Series is finished. So it would be my Major League Baseball um, playoff fantasy trip, uh, if you will. That's what's on my obscenely rich list would love to hear from you would love to hear from you uh, regardless uh, send me a tweet at duck millard let me know where you're listening to and uh, what you liked about the show also please subscribe and review uh, let me know what you think of the show uh, subscribing reviewing certainly helps us out here at podcast alley big thanks to ryan rashog for joining me on the show today uh, it was great to chat with him he's a great broadcaster uh, he's become a good friend and uh, I really appreciate him uh, opening up about uh, how difficult it was to cover uh, the humble Broncos uh, bus crash. Obviously, the families had the most difficulty losing loved ones, but covering it would not have been easy. So kudos to Ryan for opening up about that and talking about some other fun stuff as well, like the pranks they pull on the road. Uh, this has been Sports and More, the podcast. You can check out Sports and More live Daily, Monday to Friday, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. on the 12-Ounce Sports Radio Network. And you can listen to that at www.12OunceSportsRadio.com. Also, check out PodcastAlley.ca, where you can find all of my different podcasts, from this one to the Prospects Baseball Show. Jack Cookson of Pro-Am Sports was on the Prospects Baseball Show yesterday. Great interview. You should check that out. And uh, the Cannabis 101 podcast as well, uh, your guide to... Uh, the legalization and consumption of cannabis in Canada and beyond. Thanks so much for joining me on Sports and More, the podcast. We'll see you next week. Have yourself an awesome seven days. Playtime is over. She told me to stay. She said it didn't feel right. Don't worry, babe We sailed out of sight This is the Sports and More Podcast with Dean Millard And then the way